You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hi, and welcome into NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Holden Kusher, and with me is Anthony Beck. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to discuss the Colts with Stephen Holder. And Lance Zerline is going to join us and talk about Hurricane Carvey and the damage it's caused in Houston. But we're going to start off the podcast with the biggest injury from week three as Julian Edelman is out for the season. Let's get into Brady, and he's missing a big weapon now, and that would be Julian Edelman. Edelman out for the season. He's going to have to rely on a lot of different options. But first off... The Patriots organization, they've won multiple games without Tom Brady. They did it as recently last year. They've had stars go down. They've had role players go down, and the mm-hmm. machine just keeps churning. So that organization in its own right, if there's any that can handle an injury to somebody as important as Julian Edelman, it would be the Patriots. There's no question. I mean, and you talk about stability, and where do you start with the stability? It Really, you look at the coaching staff. You know, the, the head coach obviously is in, in place, but the offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, knows these guys. He's one heartbeat. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever get – he'll ever want to leave and get a head coaching job. He might be the incoming next guy whenever that time comes. And then, you know, Matt Patricia is still the link to all those great defenses, and he is in place. So that, number one, is key. So th- that's huge. And then, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, the weapons. And I, I think, look – the, the the Patriots went out and, and loaded up even more. Just when you thought that they had enough uh, or, you know, you're thinking, okay, they lost Martellus Bennett this year. Things are going to take a step back. They go and get back Gronkowski, so he's added into the mix, who they didn't have last year as they made their playoff run to, and into the Super Bowl. And then they go and go get uh, Brandon Cooks in a trade, who arguably some would say, I mean, when you look at the offense the Saints ran and, and the numbers that he put up, could they even be better? on a team that utilizes his skill set singularly as the guy. And and now look at, you know, with the situation with Edelman down, uh, he could play a bigger role. I think they're deep. Uh, they got an extra tight end in, in, in Dwayne Allen. Uh, they brought they have uh, Chris Hogan, who was one of the top yards per catch guy, average yards per catch guy with close to 18 on just 38 catches last season. They have a young Malcolm Mitchell. So, you know, Edelman is important. There's no doubt. You talk about some of the biggest catches of the year last year. And we would think of maybe that out of the if we picked five of them, three of them would be because of Edelman, and it's that relationship uh, that he has with Tom. And Tom would be the first one to say he's probably sick in his stomach that he doesn't have that trustworthy guy to go run routes. But as far as added weapons and the time you have and the backs, we didn't even talk about the running backs that catch balls with with James White and guys of that of that nature. Danny Amendola becomes another guy. So I think they're actually got more weapons, even though they lose Edelman, which is tragic. I think they feel like, okay, this might have been big last year with Gronk out. Maybe that happened. But this year, we're kind of in decent shape. But I think big picture, there's no question. Those moments, those third and shorts, you're going to miss those things, and and that'll be big. You just wonder if if there are, if you really dig into the numbers, if there are any differences with Tom Brady, with Edelman on the field, and without Edelman on the field. And, you know, I can look at efficiency numbers. I'm not going to get into the nerdy side of things. I'll just say this. There's be that nerd, man. Come the, on, we there's, bring those out. So, <laughs> there's so much talent on that side of the ball still. And that the one guy you brought up that was the most important part, Rob Gronkowski. And we don't know how healthy he's going to be, but I've heard him be compared to the Shaq of his time, the Shaquille O'Neal. Maybe not the best 
the the most technically sound, the best tight end of all, but the most dominating tight yeah. end. They got a dominator. Nobody can. He is unstoppable, and he opens it up for everybody else. He's a beast. I mean, you know, I look at the tight ends in the league right now and complete as far as pass protection, run blocking, mismatch, deceptive speed, and hand-catching, ball-catching ability. Uh, there's no one better. And even if he's at 90%, 85%, he's still the best tight end in the game. And, uh, you know, I, I was just kind of – and you're breaking down Endelman – Look, 100 catches, man, that, that's a lot to lose. But three touchdowns. So between the 20s, he really is a superior, superior weapon for this football team. When they get into the red zone, not so much. I'd say that, you know, they're gaining another guy back in Rob and Gronkowski. And, again, with uh, Brandon Cooks and these guys that can take the top off, I think they're well-suited in those situations uh, to, to be good to go. So, uh, again, you're right. The tight end position, I think, is enhanced this year with the fact that they've added Dwayne Allen. So you get not quite Marcellus Bennett replacing person for person, but Dwayne Allen, I think, is brings a lot to the table. But Gronkowski added on is, is a huge plus, especially down in the red zone where we call that the money zone, uh, holding that. That's, that's the most important. Love that money. Well, here you go. Here's some numbers. Uh, Brady with and without Edelman. With Edelman, about 38 and a half attempts a game. It's interesting, too, that with him over the last four years, he's made, was that 34 to 30, about four and a half more attempts per game. 24 completions with Adam, 33, so less attempts with four less completions. 290 yards in those games with Edelman, 221 with Adam. Uh, over a touchdown, almost a touchdown more with him than without him. The injury, the uh, the interception rate goes up a little bit. But then without Gronk, it, it really isn't nearly as significant. It's a lot more significant when Edelman has been out as opposed to Gronkowski. So Gronkowski is going to have to take a lot more of the load on his shoulder. And if both go down, then again, it's Tom Brady. They'll, it's almost like magically they'll figure something out. I'm glad you brought up the backs. James White being one of them. Rex Burkhead. You would think that Gillisley. Yeah, they had Rex. Gillisley right. is probably going to play the LeGarrette Blunt role, right? I mean, Gillisley would be the guy that w- w- will be the grinder. Yeah, 220, um, thick, yeah. Yeah, heavy set guy. Uh, oh, I think he averaged like almost six yards of carry in Buffalo. So you're right. He is a grinder type of back. So they have a replacement. They're a younger guy. Yeah, and Burkhead's a guy that you would think could catch some passes. So the the logical thing, first thing that popped in my mind when this happened, I said, oh, my gosh, you know, Brandon Cook's going to get a lot more of the – the share there in New England, but it probably um, it, it's going to be distributed around a lot. But it, I would think that Gronk and Amendola and Hogan and the backs are the ones that get the lion's share of the extra targets now. And if, if how, i got to get your thoughts since we're working together for the first time on the injury situation because there's just guys that I feel like teams should go into the season knowing that they're going to miss time. For me, Amendola is one of those guys, which gives Hogan an exceptional opportunity to have a large role in this offense. Yeah, there's right. I mean, both, you know, Hogan, uh, Amendola, I mean, uh, you know, Mal- again, Malcolm Mitchell. These these guys, look, their ball's going to get spread around. I mean, Chris Hogan is, has had a great camp. Uh, you know, Amendola, I think, early criticized, you said, obviously, with the injuries. and uh, But, again, he's a reliable guy. He's a very similar – if we, we were to call Amendola what he is, he's an Edelman kind of guy. I mean, that's what he does. He can work the slot – Still got the quicks, you know. He's got, he's a little fragile, especially in the concussion department. You know, he takes some shots. You get worried about that, but you know, you, you'll probably you're right. You probably 
not count him in for maybe three games this year, two games uh, if you're lucky. But this team is loaded, man. It's stacked. Uh, and I, the biggest thing, honestly, that I'm, I'm amazed by, and, and I don't know, people, we never talk about it because, frankly, nobody knows the names of these guys except maybe one guy is, you know, the offensive line play for this football team, you know, Dante Scornecki is a name people might not know, but he arguably is the, the best offensive line coach, period, across the NFL. The guy got pulled out of retirement for last season after coaching, you know, 30-plus uh, years with the Patriots, and he's made guys, you know, like uh, like uh, Marcus Cannon, fifth-rounder, uh, you know, Shaq Mason, an- another guy. Of four, I mean, these guys, uh, Sol- Solder is the only drafted lineman that – you really say, okay, he's a start-worthy kind of guy in the first round, but all these other guys, undrafted free agent, haven't played guys that teams passed 200-plus picks by, and they bring them on, and they're protecting the greatest quarterback ever, period. Every single year, the guy's clean. The pocket seems clean. He stands in there, and he trusts this all going down, week in and week out, play in and play out. I think more credit needs to be going to, to those guys up front, but as long as they have that time and they have the bodies and the weapons, man, this team is is I don't think they're going to miss a beat in my opinion. Well, here's the next thing too is that how many teams keep all five starters each and every year? All those guys are coming back <laughs> in the offensive line. Every single one of them. It's amazing. When you mentioned Cannon and Solder and and Andrews, all these guys are coming back for another year. So it it points to me that the Patriots are still not only the best team in the AFC and probably in the NFL. I I still don't know which team is going to be able to take them down. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live, regular season matchups and rivalry games, conference championships and bowl games, the college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory, hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long, free on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern time. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Holden Kushner, joined by Anthony Becton. Right now, we're going to chat with Lance Zerline as he's in Houston and updates us on the hurricane damage and the impact it'll have on the Texans. Here to talk some football, Lance Zerline, who was supposed to host the show today, but so many things going on down in uh, his hometown. And Holden Kushner here in for you today, Lance, with Anthony Becht. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I really wish I could be in there, but uh, having some some concerns here about about flooding, so I'm uh, I'm playing it safe. But uh, it, it is, you know, it's funny what JJ said is he, he talked about the um, you know the how frustrating it is not being part of of you know the the process, and it really is. I mean, I don't have an airboat, I don't have a flat bottom boat. I drove around today for about an hour and a half trying to hand out water to people I could, but you know. The thing is, if I'm able to drive around on those areas, then those people are in pretty good shape. Uh, the people in Houston who are really in a lot of trouble, when that included my brother, and uh, who's a football coach, and, and my sister-in-law, they get trapped in houses or apartments, and they wait and wait, and they don't really realize that water's coming up from a bayou or from a you know a, a body of water that's near them. And before you know it, those things really fill up quickly. And, 
and they, you know, everyone wants to keep water out of their house. Well, once water gets in your house, you might as well go because that thing's just going to rise. That's what that's what's happened. A lot of people have waited here in Houston, and uh, they're having to be rescued. Water's going up to the chest. Water's going up to the neck in a lot of areas, and uh, the 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 rescues are taking place, and people are really stepping up. I just had Troy Twilley, who was a defensive back. At, uh, at LSU, when my dad coached there, he just texted me. I don't know how he got my number, but he texted me and said, hey, i got an airboat. I need to, I want to come down there and start rescuing people. I said, Troy, and I don't know Troy. And I said, Troy, I appreciate it, but you're not going to be able to get into the city. It's just, you know, you're not going to be able to. Uh, you're going to get flooded. So that's the problem you have here is it's difficult to get to, to, to people here, and it's uh, – for the Houston Texans, it's a big challenge because they live here and there are family members here. And some of these guys are going to, you know, they're going to have water in their homes. They're, the Houston Astros are dealing with the same thing. So um, it is, you know, from the world of sports and the football that we're talking, this team is going to have a hard – I'm just telling you, it is. I saw it happen with the Astros when we had Hurricane Ike. There's going to be a very difficult time for the Houston Texans to, to be able to focus and and get done what they need to get done for the season because this is a this is not only a devastating scene now but it's going to 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 worsen by tomorrow. Yeah, Lance, you know, and again, uh, prayers and thoughts to any of your family and friends. Obviously, they're being affected and, uh, and thinking about you. Just uh, some of the text message you sent us. Well, what are some of those early? Uh, you know, plans for the Texans. Have you heard of anything as far as initially, number one, what they're doing? I mean, obviously, J.J. Watt's doing uh, some of the mm-hmm. stuff, worrying about those things on the outside. But internally, as far as, you know, practices and how they're going to do all these, how are they even operating right now as far as, is it just, is, are they off completely? Or is it, how's it kind of going with them? Well, they're in Dallas. They're in Dallas now, which is what they had to do. They'll get their workouts in um, there. And what you know, and you have to follow the weather system, so you, you have an idea, and you have to have a sense of of how the city dries out and what the history is. And this is our third major flood in the last three in the last three years. I mean, and I'm talking about major issues uh, with with huge flash floods, and this one is going to be just you know widespread. But um, based on where the Texans are, their facility, and they have an indoor facility, if the system starts to move out tomorrow as as it's anticipated. Um, I, I think the Texans will be fine by next week uh, to, to be back, probably by the end of this week if they wanted to. I think the game, I'm trying to recall if the game's in Dallas or Houston. But, um, it, you know, wherever it is, I mean, it, it should probably just be played in, in Dallas depending on what the circumstances are here in Houston. Uh, once again, it's, it slips in my mind who's, who's the home team in that one. But uh, I do know this, I think that they will be fully functional and fully operational, Anthony, by – uh, next week uh, as they prepare for week one of the NFL season. I don't think that will be a problem based on where they are geographically, how that area drains. And uh, it's just going to be a, a matter of can everyone focus on the task at hand when the other task at hand is, you know, has to do with, with the community and, and trying to rebuild and, and potentially for a lot of these guys, you know, take care of their own issues at home. Were you down there for Hurricane Ike also? Because I, I work on the baseball side of things here at Tune in, and a very good friend of mine who also does a show, LaTroy Hawkins, was part of the Astros mm-hmm. team, and they ended up having to move the whole Not series yet. up to Milwaukee back they in got no, what They got one hit by Carlos Zambrano. Yep. So they were in the middle of a playoff run, right? Yep. And they had to move an entire series to Milwaukee. I think I want to say they got no hit and one hit. Uh, um, Carlos Zambrano, shut him down, no hitter. 
Yeah, no hitter. And then, and then the next game they got one hit. So they had – and I talked to Lance Berkman about that. We had him on the show back then. And the, the team was just uh, – and that's why I referenced the Astros, and I'm glad you picked up on that. I saw it happen with the Astros where their minds just weren't in it. I mean, that was the beginning of the end for their season. Uh, they were done after the hurricane hit because they lost that series to the Cubs, which they needed back when they were in the National League. The players, Lance Berkman and some of the other players, said they had no focus on the game. Um, they were just, you know, too nervous about what was going on with their family. So, yeah, that's what I was saying. I, I don't think it's a given that the Texans are just going to have their mind uh, on on the game in Week Four, and and who who knows? Maybe even for Week One of the regular season. It really just depends on when the system gets out of here. But this is, you know, day four, and we'll have day five of rain tomorrow as well, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, they are home uh, week one uh, versus Jacksonville. And, uh, again, I can only think, you know, just from my experience, you know, I was uh, up in New York when uh, 9-11 happened. And uh, mm-hmm. trust me, the last thing on my mind well, was football. And we didn't play you know, that week. We, we started that charge, but – uh, yeah, you know, from the player's standpoint. And, you know, it's tough to go practice in Dallas, too, uh, Lance, when, you know, these players' families are, are living in the area and they're, you know, dealing with themselves. You're actually pulling them away to do their job, but yet they got family and their friends and stuff in that area trying to, you know, hunker down and, and, and get through this. Well, and this, this coaching staff is a very family-oriented staff with Bill O'Brien. A lot of the coaches here have family and have, have kids, Mike Brabel included, uh, the defensive coordinator. And, so it's not just the players. I mean, it's everybody. It's the coaching staff. It's the people who set up the, the travel plans. It's media relations. It's everybody who has a job to do, and it, and it could have an impact. And, you know, um, I, they should be ready to play the first week of the season here. And I don't, I don't anticipate that being a problem, but we'll, we'll wait and see. I think the city would be upset if, if something were to happen with that because they're going to want something like that and, and to, to focus positive energy in that direction to the Texans. And I think it will be – the place will just be bananas. Now, you got to go out there and still play. But as we saw with, with the, the, you know, the, the famous Steve Gleason game with the Saints versus the Falcons, I mean, an entire city can just rally around uh, a team when really they're rallying around themselves. They're really rallying around the city. And it can turn into a big emotional um, you know, outpouring uh, that that, that kind of rolls the team forward, but as you mentioned with the with the nine eleven, I mean we saw we saw firsthand how difficult that was. And I remember the was it the first week, Anthony? The first week was postponed of the entire season, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember. My dad was with the Cleveland Browns, and uh, I think it was his first year coaching NFL football. And, and the first week was uh, I remember the first week that they did play football. That was just an incredible scene, the flyovers and just everything that took place then. But uh, in Houston, it certainly this isn't a national. Uh, it's a national story, but it's happening locally. But uh, it, it really will be a concern logistically. I think it will be okay, but then getting the guys to focus on what they have to focus on, it's going to be understandably tough. But where you are right now is is okay, right? I mean, you're okay. Yeah, I'm good. You're okay. Yeah, I'm good. And I have you know, you just have that remorse that you can't be out doing more and helping more, and that's you know, kind of where I am right now is I couldn't even get to my brother today who had to be rescued by boat. There's, you know, it's just wow. nothing I could do. Um, so it's, diff- it's, it's difficult. I've got some friends, I think, who may evacuate an area uh, where a big, um, the Brazos River is expected to overflow. And 
And so I've got some friends, I think, who are going to head this way and, and stay with me when they evacuate. But, uh, but me, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, and I, and I actually anticipate with the weather being the way it is, I, I think there's a pretty good chance I'll be able to come on and, and do the show tomorrow on Wednesday. Wow. I mean, first of all, that's terrific uh, from your standpoint. And second of all, just, again, it's so tough watching things like that. And, you know, Anthony, you go back to 9-11. Sorry to bring it down, but this is this is real life going on, and it affects mm-hmm. yeah. it affects sports. And people are going – the, the, the cliche is, oh, no one's going to feel sorry for you. You know what? People are going to feel sorry for the Houston Texans and O'Brien, but ultimately feeling sorry is not going to make anybody play – less hard against the Houston Texans. So he has decisions he has to make that, I mean, I, I guess we'll figure out in week four, right? They're, they're, they probably will play the game, but what are some of the big decisions that the Texans have here heading into the final week of the preseason? Well, I mean, this is this is an interesting challenge because it's, as you guys know, it's the massive cut. I mean, you go right to 53 now. There's not the 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 – you know, the, the, the small ciphering off of the roster anymore, it's now gone. They want to go to a more massive cut so that they have enough bodies in camp to get through you know, different reps and protect the veterans and, and some of the younger players. And so now the, the, the rosters are great big, and so they still got massive amounts of cuts. Every team does. But you've got to get rid of a massive amount of players, be prepared to know who you want to keep on your practice squad, who you want to grab off the waiver wire of other teams on the pro personnel side. So every team, this is a major challenge. The way that it's being done now, it's going to, it's going to lead to a free-for-all personnel-wise. And for the Texans, I think just the extra stress will, will cause them uh, those concerns. Now, from a, from a football standpoint, they have got to, to get ready for a week four. Obviously, if they choose to, they can sit a bunch of starters. But there are some battles going on right now on the, along the offensive line at the uh, potentially the, four, the third and fourth running back spots. There are some issues there at the safety position. So there are some, some jobs still to be won, potentially outside linebacker. There are going to be some – I mean, week four is an important week for a few guys who are on that roster bubble. So this is still a very, very important game uh, for the Texans. I would say there's probably about five to six roster spots that are, you know, that are truly on the line here this week. And I think, too, Lance, the biggest thing, I think, for teams, you know, we're talking about the whole uh, pushing the the cuts, the final cuts uh, later so that players can say, usually you have that buffer for teams where it's not so much the guys you don't want, but when you only cut a few in the beginning and those guys hit the wires and you can kind of, you know, see those pictures of guys that you might want to bring in, and you're, but when they're all out there, and now you got you know yeah. every single guy's getting cut on the same day. Now you just have these cluster of players. I mean, I, I gotta to me that that is where you know GMs and pro professionals that that's where they're going to make their money this year because uh, you know to find those spots. I mean, I, I know teams and and you see it every year that half of their practice squad is none of the guys that were they were carrying on their roster through training camp. Yeah, and you know it, it's it's amazing. So Chris Ballard from the Indianapolis Colts, their new GM, is is a friend of mine and a guy that's kind of a mentor for me, and I've learned a lot from him. And I remember when we talked about the draft going from, you know, the the Saturday, the the rounds one, two, three on Saturday, and then uh, four, five, six, seven on Sunday. Once they switched to the the formula with with round one being on Thursday, and then round two and three being on Friday. 
they didn't really like it with, with the Bears when he was there with Jerry Angelo because they felt like they really had a good handle on the draft and the prospects. And what that allowed teams to do was recoup. And after round one was over, okay, let's go reassess and, and reprioritize everything on rounds two and three. And it gave them a chance to catch their breath. And then the same thing for the day three picks. They liked it. They felt like they really had a good scouting staff and they had a good handle on, on the draft. And they felt like it gave them an advantage to be rolling through you know, three rounds consecutively and then four rounds consecutively. And I think the same thing can be said. Um, you know, Chris has done, Ballard's done a great job of picking guys up off the waiver wire that have helped in the past the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think the point is, to your point, Anthony, when you have this amount of players that all of a sudden are open, if you don't have everything down, I mean, if you're pro personnel stuff, if you don't have a priority one, priority two, and priority three list, ready to go today, today, that you can scratch guys off if they make a roster, then you're in major, major trouble because this is just going to be a dumping of players all at once, and you've got to have a very focused plan to get the guys you want. And if you don't, you know, the team that is focused is going to greatly benefit because there are always players who can play who hit the waiver wire, especially players who hit the waiver wire and just need time to continue to be coached on a practice squad and be brought along a little more slowly. Uh, Lance, you know, and you cover all the NFL, but in specific with the Texans, you know, Tom Savage is the starter. He's the guy that's going to go out there. But how much do you think Jay, uh, Deshaun Watson made as far as an impression? And is there going to be that game-to-game pressure? Uh, you know, how comfortable, I guess, per se, will Tom Savage feel going into the season knowing that, you know, Watson obviously brought in top, you know, top pick, you know, where right. he's going to be on kind of the how, how loose is the leash, per se, for him going into the season? Well, OK, so Tom Savage benefits from the fact that Bill O'Brien two years ago admitted that he made a mistake by by benching um, Brian Hoyer after three quarters, basically, um, mm-hmm. maybe it was one half, against the Kansas City Chiefs in week one and then going to Ryan Mallett. So he doesn't want to do that again. With that said, I've talked to people behind the scenes with the Texans who say Bill O'Brien loves Deshaun Watson. Now, he likes, he likes Tom Savage plenty, but Bill O'Brien really loves the makeup and just everything about the leadership and the preparation and, and all the intangibles for Deshaun Watson. But as you know, Anthony, rookie quarterbacks, I mean, that is a steep hill to yeah. climb. So Deshaun Watson is not ready yet. And I think there was, there was a little bubbling. There was a, it was starting to bubble up just a little bit that, um, that Deshaun Watson might be able to win that job. But then I think during the practices against the, the, uh, the, the New England Patriots and then against the New Orleans Saints, some of the joint practices over the last two weeks, the Texans got a sense that, well, Deshaun is what we thought he is, which is not quite ready. Let's stick with, with, uh, with Tom Savage. But if you look at the schedule and you see that game after game four, you go, into, uh, you go into a bye week, or week five, I think, is the Cleveland Browns, I believe. That could easily be a win. And then after week five, you've got the bye week after that. So I think that right there around week five and maybe week six, seven, is where you could see the transition. If Tom Savage isn't getting it done, you could see the transition to Deshaun Watson. But let me tell you why there's a much greater chance that Tom Savage can hang on longer than people think. He knows how to get the ball to DeAndre New Hopkins. 
Hopkins is a tremendous wideout. He is one of the best combat catch guys that you're going to find. He has a way of getting late separation. Some call it push off. I call it clever handwork, <laughs> as you might know, Anthony. And uh, I never he, pushed he's off. Great with, <laughs> he's got great with body control and some of the stickiest hands in pro football. And Tom Savage and, and DeAndre Hopkins have a great rapport. So one thing that Brock, Brock Osweiler didn't do is he didn't feed the he didn't feed the rock to. DeAndre Hopkins, and, and he didn't have enough ball placement to get it done. Tom Savage can sit and rip it when he's in the pocket and you give him time, and he can find his favorite target, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. So he's got a shot. The problem is he's so slow through his progressions. He takes so long to, to, to make decisions at times that he'll end up taking more sacks than he should. So you let him sit and throw, and if you can protect him, Tom Savage can hurt you from the pocket. The question is going to be can the Texans protect him with no Dwayne, you know, with the Dwayne Brown issue because, you know, what are you going to do when the pressure's there? Tom Savage is, is a bit of a statue, so I think that's a, a big concern, and that's where, once again, Deshaun Watson has an advantage over him is that he is, he's very mobile. But uh, the wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, loves Tom Savage. So, you know, I, I think that definitely helps Tom. That's a big check mark in Tom Savage's favor. Lance Erlon here on NFL No Hut on NFL on Tune and Holder Kusher Anthony Becht. Um, my last one for you be on Lamar Miller. All things being mm. equal in a perfect world, does the staff want him to have 300 touches again, or would they like to just ha- have the workload back a little bit, back it off a little bit, and see if he could stay a little healthier? I'm not sure they want him to have 200, mm. if you want me to be completely honest. He's not a real hard runner between the tackles. Um, he has more of a slasher and more of an outside zone runner who needs to get – he feels more comfortable when he's out on the perimeter and can make his one cut and go. He is not a gap scheme runner. He is not a guy that's going to hit it hard in between the tackles. And it was very obvious watching last year. Now, he's got enough burst that even if he dances in there, he can still make some plays happen. And he's got talent. He's obviously a talented pass catcher, too. But there's a reason they drafted Deontay Foreman from Texas in the uh, third round. He's a banger. He is a guy who's a bigger running back who I think they feel like can get – more yard after contact uh, type of you know collision yardage um, um, between the tackles, and I think you'll see for sure Deontay Foreman become a bigger part of this offense than maybe some people expected from the rookie. And I think you will see them pull the Lamar Miller touches back this year without question. They also have running backs like Akeem Hunt and and Tyler Irvin, who's kind of a running back slash wide receiver. You have some guys like that who are on this team as well. Uh, Alfred Blue is still there who can get you some some tough yards. So I, I think Lamar Miller's on, on on a relatively short leash this year from a touch standpoint if you're a fantasy football owner. Hey, stay safe, man. Uh, it's good that at least you, you know, you got a phone connection in your house. Everything's uh, in good order, and we've never met before, but uh, I'm a fan of your work. You take care of yourself, all right? I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And I'll try to make it in there tomorrow. Looking forward to doing doing a show with you, Anthony. Be well, man. No doubt. All right, thanks. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Let TuneIn bring you home. With TuneIn's local radio browse feature, listen to live FM and AM radio stations from your home area as if you've never left town. Spend the day listening to your favorite stations and hosts, local news and talk shows, and familiar voices that you've grown to love. Or maybe you're missing that morning drive show that gets you to the office. Your go-to hip-hop station with special guest DJs. Or maybe sports talk about your favorite team. Then catch your hometown favorites with local radio on TuneIn. With TuneIn, you can go home again. 
You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern time. I'm holding Kushner and up next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we talk Colts with Stephen Holder from the Indy Star. Let's talk some Colts with Stephen Holder from the Indy Star. Of course, uh, Anthony, you and Stephen go back a little bit. We do. Stephen, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well, man. Good to talk to you, man. There's no doubt. Well, obviously the, the biggest news, and I think there's actually it's a double story, but you know the Andrew Luck saga, will he, won't he, when will he be ready? Help us figure out that. It looks like they're saying at least the first game, do you foresee it being more? And I think another thing is, uh, you know, I think you're losing two quarterbacks because you're talking about your center, Ryan Kelly, out for the season. Uh, those are two huge hits for a team that's trying to make some big changes uh, with a new GM and a coach that's trying to get this thing going. Well, I'll start with Andrew. I mean, they are not committing to him either playing or not playing in the opener just yet. But, but I think if you if you look at the smoke signals, it's pretty clear no one is planning on him being there week one. I think they're operating under an assumption. I am certainly operating under an assumption for sure that he's not going to play against the L.A. Rams on September 10th. Now, I don't think this is going to be necessarily a long-term thing, but certainly in the short term. I think if it was a long-term issue, I I hope and pray the Colts would have been more, um, I guess, proactive about their quarterback situation in the offseason. The fact that they really didn't try that hard to upgrade their backup quarterback situation suggests they don't expect a long-term absence. But at the same time, I thought Andrew would be back already. So I didn't think we'd still be having this conversation. So who the heck knows? But I expect him to be on the active roster come Saturday. Does that mean he plays? Of course not. I don't think he will play at this point. But but I don't think it's going to be a PUP situation where he's out six, seven, eight weeks. Um, at least that's not what I'm expecting. Now, Ryan Kelly, that's a huge loss. He's not out for the season. He should be back at some point, but he's going to miss some time. He's got a broken foot. He's, he had surgery, so that is going to take some time. And, look, he is a huge part of what they're doing, that, that whole sort of revamping of the offensive line. He was the centerpiece to that and was the guy who was supposed to anchor that unit for years to come. So when you don't have him and you don't have your quarterback initially, that's a whole different ball of wax. I mean, was anybody expecting anything as far as Andrew Luck goes this offseason? Like, were you in the loop in, in any of this? Because this this staff, has, at least, has seemed to to just – I don't – and playing dumb is not the right thing. Smoke screens is what it would be. It just doesn't seem like you've gotten a clear answer at all during this whole process. Well – it has been a little frustrating. The one thing the Colts have done is, for the most part, they have sort of shied away from establishing a timeline, and that's what I think has led to to the confusion. Because most times when a guy's hurt, they'll say, all right, four to six weeks, or even if it's a matter of months, six months, nine months. We never got that. And what did happen, though, was owner Jim Mercer on a couple of occasions kind of led people to believe that Andrew Luck would have been back for the start of training camp or at minimum the start of the season. And those previous statements, I think, added to the ambiguity and the confusion. So here we are now. We get to the start of training camp, and they say, oh, well, he's going to go on PUP. It's no big deal. You know, we know it might take some time. And then so you're going back to the previous statement. You're like, well, wait a minute. So I think that really led to people sort of scratching their heads, myself included. But but GM Chris Ballard and, and Coach Chuck Pagano have been pretty consistent on one thing which is not really establishing any kind of timeline so that way 
they don't have to answer for it when it doesn't come true. So, but the one timeline that Chris Ballard did establish was that, or time element, if you want to use that word, is that Andrew Luck would be on the active roster for the start of the season. So that was their intent, and they can still make that happen. We'll see here within a few days when they do their final roster. So let's talk about if he doesn't play. Scott Tolzien is obviously there's a big gap between what Luck brings to the table and these other guys. Uh, he had a solid preseason game. I think it was 7-10, 123 yards. Stephen Morris, uh, is he entering the equation? Is it just kind of like, is it going to be Scott if it's not Luck, or is there a possibility that they're kind of flipping a coin here and letting it play out uh, all the way through the last preseason game? I thought at one point this might be a conversation, but it seems like everything right now points to Scott Tolzien. What's interesting, though, is locally, I think local fans have really watched these preseason games, and Stephen Morris, has a lot of fans sort of pining for him to get more of an opportunity. And what happened is he was buried on the depth chart to start training camp. They had him as the third quarterback of the three healthy quarterbacks. A rookie, Philip Walker from Temple, was second string for the first two preseason games. But Stephen Morris last preseason led the NFL in passing and actually had a pretty good exhibition season. People wanted to see more. So it was kind of perplexing. The point is they finally promoted Stephen this past week to second quarterback behind Tolzien, gave him some gave him some snaps with the starters. He played great, I thought. But today in practice, as they were back at it today, Tolzien was taking the first team reps. So he's the guy, and that's the way they've been proceeding from day one. Now, whether it's the right decision is a whole other story. I thought they should have at least explored the Stephen Morris angle a little more. He has more playmaking ability. Scott Tolzien is a guy who you know you can trust he can execute, but he's not going to give you anything out of the ordinary. He's going to be a very predictable and sort of a sort of a game manager type of quarterback. But sometimes you want that out of your backup. And, and when you look at Tolzien, what kind of rapport does he have with Hilton and Moncrief and Doyle? You know, we know what Andrew Luck has, but is there any type of rapport there, or would it be a situation where? You know, here's a better way of putting it. Who's he going to if this team is down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter? Who does he have the rapport with? Well, that this is where there's a problem. I mean, he does have a rapport, I think, with Doyle because Doyle gives you a lot of those intermediate routes where you don't necessarily have to take the high-risk throw down the field. So he gives him some options there. And just like for Andrew Luck, Doyle can be sort of a, a safety valve for Scott Tolzien as well. However, this offense is a deep ball offense. Rob Chesinski is the offensive coordinator. Okay, he's a North Turner disciple. You've got Andrew Luck, whose best throw is the deep ball. And then you've got a guy like T.Y. Hilton, who basically his best skill is to take the top off the defense. So it changes the trajectory of the offense. The whole complexion of the offense changes without Andrew Luck because he's the guy who drives that sort of long ball offense. When you lose that, it changes everything. So I think they're going to be a an easier team to defend, clearly, without Angel Luck because they don't have they don't have an inferior quarterback, but also because they won't be as aggressive in offense. So it's going to be a totally different ball game, different game plan, and it's going to put them in a tough spot, uh, especially on defense, to try to make plays and keep the score in check. And with that, you know, first-year general manager Chris Ballard made a huge overhaul, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you're talking about a lot of new bodies, a lot of new faces, and tried to get this defense, who statistically was ranked 30th in the NFL last year, Stephen, 
What have you seen? What's there to get excited about? And who's going to make some plays for this defense to hold the fort down in case Andrew Luck, or even when he comes back, uh, who's those guys going to be? Well, it's ambitious. I mean, they could have seven, eight new starters on defense. I mean, even in the NFL, that's a lot of turnover. So, you know, we'll have to see. I, I think the unit is still sort of coming together. They've had so many guys in and out of practice because of injuries that it's really hard to tell what the unit really looks like. But they've got to get their two rookie defensive backs healthy. Quincy Wilson out of Florida and Malik Hooker out of Ohio State. Those are two potential playmakers. They've got to get those guys healthy. But they've missed so much practice this preseason. I don't know if either guy's going to be in the starting lineup come day one, but Malik Hooker is a guy they're really excited about because of the playmaking ability. And then beyond that, you have some guys like Jabal Sheard. Can they turn him into a, a consistent pass rusher? That remains to be seen. John Simon is the other outside linebacker. Good edge setter, has a little pass rush ability. We'll see what he can bring. And then it's going to be, I think, guys like Jonathan Hankins, We'll have to see if he, in the middle of that defense, the defensive tackle, can elevate his game and sort of replicate some of the things he did in past years with the New York Giants. But they gave him $10 million a year, so they're expecting. Uh, talk about some of the draft picks. What can we expect? You know, obviously Hooker in a situation where, uh, you know, he, they got to get something out of him this year. And uh, I believe... Uh, you know, you look down some of the guys like Zach Banner, even down into the draft, you might need some of these guys to step up and, and really, uh, you know, do some work for you. Yeah, this class, I think, has a chance to be good, but it's going to take a little time. None of these guys are there yet. And it starts at the top always with Willie Cooker, the first-round pick. They were elated to get this kid because they thought he was going to be, you know, a top 8 or 10 pick. He slides to 13 or 14, I should say, and, and they were – thrilled to get him, and, and as they should have been. But the problem is he missed the whole offseason. So he was coming off hip surgery from Ohio State, the national championship game or the playoff game. And then he gets there and started training camp. He pulls a hamstring, so he's dealing with that. And then he's got a shoulder. And so it's just been one frustrating thing after another. He has to get healthy and has to prove he can stay healthy. That's, that's something I think people are worried about, rightfully so. But if he does, Mike Hooker has just a – an unbelievable playmaking ability that not a lot of guys on this defense possess. So if he can get going and really can bring that center fielder type attitude and, and mentality to this defense, they could really have some big plays out of him. And that's what you need, especially when your offense is struggling. You need that. You know, you need turnovers, you need plays on defense. So he can give them that. Quincy Wilson, I think, is going to be a really good man-to-man corner at some point, he's just been sort of dinged up too, but he's got some potential. One guy, a dark horse kid to, to watch, uh, I talked about Philip Walker out of Temple. Well, there's another Temple kid, Nate Hirston, the corner who they drafted in the fifth round out of Temple. Well, I think this kid has a chance to be the starting nickel on opening day. We'll see, but, but right now he's got a shot. And he is a fearless tackler who gets after people in the running game and is a pretty physical guy in the passing game as well. So this kid, I'm telling you, he's opened my eyes already, and I think you'll see him at some point before the season's up uh, making some plays for the Colts defense. Hey, Steven, thanks for the time. We really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, it's Anthony Valadez. We have a new music channel exclusively on TuneIn, Indie Eclectic. 
It's home for the emerging and boundary-pushing artists, from soul to electronic, folk to world sounds, hip-hop to jazz. Music should inspire you. It should challenge you and make you feel some sort of way. All hand-picked gems from the likes of Nick Hakim. The bands that are featured on the record are all bands that I plan. What's next? British sensation Jaybird stopped by for a live session and a performance of her single, Cathedral. Latin alternative breakout artist HL stopped by to discuss his inspiration. There's been many phases in my life now since Harlem, but it definitely pushes me. And then going downtown, you can't get in a club, you know, you're outside and then you see like Kid Cudi going inside, you know, just seeing all that being right next to you, people rubbing shoulders, knowing that it's possible. It's all encouraging. From the record bins to the blogosphere and into your ears, it's Indieclectic, heard exclusively on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern time. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Holden Kushner, joined by Anthony Beckton. To close out the show, we welcome in former Falcons QB, DJ Shockley. Hey, DJ, Holden Kushner. You know, Anthony, how are you? Doing. Doing terrific. We got a lot going on in the NFL right now is, is what we got going on. The um, pre- preseason's almost finally over. Week four of the preseason. You have um, you you had to take it pretty seriously a few years, didn't you? The final week of that preseason. Oh yeah, see, because I, I was a seventh round guy, so each game, each preseason, it was big for me. I was trying to make a team. You know, I wasn't like Anthony, so I, you know, I had to, you know, I had to fight. You know, Anthony, every he, he was good. He was cool. His fourth game, he didn't worry about it. But uh, <laughs> I had, I had to, I had to fight and claw, man. And uh, that fourth preseason game was how I made the team. Uh, a few years, so uh, definitely uh, it looks like a time where a lot of people maybe not worry about it and they're ready to get to the regular season, but for a lot of guys, almost 1,200 guys, it's going to be the last time they get to put on a uniform and and try to make a a roster this season. Yeah, DJ, it's Anthony, and you're right. You know, uh, it is one, especially with this whole – uh, roster, not a lot of the, none of the guys really. Some of them are getting released, but the major cuts aren't till Friday, so they had a lot of opportunities to show their stuff. And right. uh, you know, when I when I look at this uh, NFC South, and you know, I cover the Bucks too, and you know, when you look at this division, top to bottom, this could be arguably the toughest division in football. And when you look at the Falcons, obviously, you know, they're looking to get back to where they were, to get back on, you know, back to that pinnacle goal, getting back to the Super Bowl, get that bad taste down their mouth. But they do need all their pieces in place. And, and let's just start with the biggest thing. You know, Devontae Freeman, obviously, uh, you know, he's, got, he's in concussion protocol, uh, hasn't played in the preseason uh, that much at all. Uh, how do they feel about him? And are they just kind of holding back? Or is he going to be ready for the season opener? What's kind of the word on him? Uh, the word on Devonte is he he's in the last phase of it uh, of the concussion protocol and he's starting to get back into the running and the lifting and the working out and that part of it. So that that means he's on the the latter end of it and they're expecting him to be back. Uh, they actually was hoping he could practice this week. So if that's the case, they know he'll be ready to go uh, for for game number one when they had to go up to Chicago. But uh, Devonte obviously is a huge part of this team. He's a huge part of what they do offensively. And you talk about this division, you talk about it being one of the toughest, and it is. And Tampa was a team last year that gave Atlanta a lot of fits, and they actually split with them, actually beat them the first game of the year. Uh, obviously, they, had a bunch, they added a bunch of pieces of offense, bringing Deshaun Jackson over. You still got Mike Evans, uh, drafted O.J. Howard. 
uh, it's going to be a very tough division. When you got Drew Brees in it, he still going to give New Orleans a chance, even if you know the defense hasn't been up to par. Having Drew Brees on your team, you got a chance. And then Carolina's a team that's looking to get back to where they were two years ago, playing for a Super Bowl as well. So you look at the division, you got the last two NFL MVPs in it with Cam and Matt Ryan. So it, this is a division that you had to bring it every time you play or you lose two or three games and you may be out of the playoff hunt. All right, DJ Shockless here with us uh, doing pregame or sidelines, I should say, sidelines for the Atlanta Falcons here. So it's a it's a new offensive coordinator, of course. How, how much difference is the offense going to look to the average viewer? If you've seen it on TV, is it going to look a lot different than Shanahan's offense last year? You know what? It's really not. It's one of those things where when Sark came in, he sat down with Matt, he sat down with the rest of the offensive staff, and they kind of said, we want to keep the verbiage kind of the same. We want to keep some of the concepts the same because obviously they had a lot of success last year, uh, scoring 540 points, uh, you know, putting up 30-plus points a game. Uh, they were pretty successful doing it. And I think Sark has come in, and he's brought a couple different concepts. He's brought a couple different things to the offense uh, that they didn't have last year. But the most noticeable thing that I've seen out of them is last year, Kyle Shanahan loved the move. He loved the motion. He loved the shifts. Uh, they use two, three tight ends. Anthony, I know you like that. They they use two, three tight ends all the time, <laughs> shifting and motion and all that kind of stuff. But this year, the focus has been let's get Matt to the line of scrimmage a little bit sooner. Let's get him early so he can audible, he can see what's going on and get the team in the, uh, the best possible play call. And that's what they've been doing is let's get up, let's call it, and let's run it. Uh, then the, the terminology has been different as well. It's kind of been uh, not as lengthy or wordy as it was with Kyle, so that allows – then they get in and out of the huddle and be able to play a little bit faster. All right, so that brings up the you said the two tight end sets. So two guys that I wonder are going to merge this year. How much more we'll see them evolve would be Hooper and Gabriel mm-hmm. because Gabriel mm-hmm. said that. I mean, everybody talked about Tyreek Hill. This guy was a game. Yeah. It was a game buster too. And then we saw some brilliance out of Hooper toward the end of last year. How much should he be involved in a passing game? Well, both of them are going to be huge. Uh, obviously, Hooper is a. Very athletic tight end. He's good at the point of attack as well. But they use him in a lot of places on the field where they can spread him and get good matches with him on linebackers or safety that may not be big enough to to cover him. He, he's one of those guys who understands coverages. He understands what to sit things down. Uh, very cerebral player uh, as well. So it looks forward to getting him uh, much more involved in last year. If you remember, the first touchdown that they got in the Super Bowl was Hooper catching the touchdown in the Super Bowl, which is big for him and Matt. And then you talk about Taylor Gabriel and his nickname on the team and everybody calls him his turbo. And if you see him, every time he catches the ball, he has a chance to, to take it a distance. They're finding ways to get him the football as well, uh, whether it be bubble screens or reverses or whatever it may be. They try to find ways to get him the ball in space because if him is him in space, it's a problem for defenses. And it's just tough because they got so many guys who can do multiple things. Obviously, Devontae, and then you got Seven Coleman coming out the backfield. Still got number 11, the Beast, and Julio, and you got Muhammad Sanu, and you just talked about Hooper. They got seven, eight, nine guys who can contribute and make a play at any given time, and it's going to be interesting to see how they spread it around, but I guess it's a good problem to have. We're here with DJ Shockley, former quarterback, and covers the Atlanta Falcons now. And DJ, I think the one thing, you know, just leaning off what we saw in the Super Bowl and and really throughout the season, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, getting to the quarterback and, and improving that pass rush, and then 
that pass defense. I mean, it wasn't stellar mm-hmm. by any stretch. I thought they played an awesome two quarters going into that uh, Super Bowl. But I think big picture, you know, how do they get better in both of those departments? What have you seen that leads you to believe that that can improve? You know, I figure you look at the Super Bowl, obviously in the second half, New England made a bunch of adjustments, and they were getting the ball out their hand quicker. They ran more plays. I think in the game, New England had 90-some-odd plays, and I think they just got wore down up front. This season, though, they've added a bunch of depth. They went out of free agency and got Jack Crawford, who came from Dallas, who's been big. They drafted Tack McKinley. Everybody's seen his passion and energy at the draft, and he has mm-hmm. a very, very quick first step. So you add him on the other side with Nick Beasley, Grady Jarrett, who had three sacks in the Super Bowl, could have easily been the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, you add him, but then you also bring over Dante Poe from Kansas City, uh, who gives you that plug on the inside with, with him and Grady Jarrett. And Jack Crawford is a backup. They got a Rasheed Hagman, who's another big body on the inside. Uh, they bring back Derek Shelby, who got hurt last year, who's a good pass rusher as well. And then on the back end, they didn't have Desmond Trufant for a latter part of the year because he ended up tearing his peck, so he was out. And he's probably arguably one of the best corners uh, around in the league right now, not really tested. So having him back was big in the secondary. And you got some linebackers and Deion Jones and DeBondre Campbell who are sideline to sideline, very fast guys. And it looks similar to what Seattle had been doing the last few years with long, rangy guys who can run, but they also can cover, and they're going to get after you up front. So they added that depth up front, which I think is going to help them be able to interchange in and out. And adding true fun on the back end was big. Yeah, and, and talk about also on the other side, you know, wide receiver. I think we all know uh, Julio, uh, you know, he's the guy. There's no question about that. But, you know, Sanu picked up the, you know, had a big season. You know, how, how Gabriel made a spark. I mean, how's the mesh been going? Any new faces that could, you know, uh, jump into this thing as far as making this a, ta- a little more talented? You know, Justin Hardy, what kind of steps has he taken yeah. uh, during the preseason and the offseason? Yeah, you bring up some really good guys in there. Obviously, uh, that third and fourth receiver and, and Taylor Gabriel and Justin Hardy. Justin Hardy kind of gets you know, thrown by the wayside because you got a Julio, you got a Sanu who uh, are your main targets. Uh, but Justin Hardy is another guy who's on the inside of Slatter who can make a lot of plays for you. Uh, they got another tight end in Levine Toilolo who is about 6'7", six, 6'8", six, big, big body guy who you know has matchup problems, especially in the red zone. Uh, but then I think the biggest X factor for this team, other than Devontae, is, is Tevin Coleman. He's a guy that can run inside or outside, but also he's very good in the pass game last year. Uh, he added that dimension to his game, and he's another quick, fast player that if you're not watching for him, he will make a big play and he can go to distance with it. So they got so many weapons on this football team. They had 13 guys last year catch a touchdown, and uh, I think each and every game, they had at least seven or eight guys catch a pass. So the distribution is why guys know that they're going to get the ball and they know they're going to get a chance to make a play with it. So this offense can be just as potent as it was last year simply because of how many guys they got that can make a play with it. All right, DJ Shockley has joined us, uh, covers the uh, the Falcons there preseason on the sideline. Of course, uh, former NFL quarterback as well. Want to just get your thoughts around some of the hot topics in the league. And what about Burfecht? Vontez getting that five-game suspension here. He's going to obviously uh, challenge that. But if you've seen the hit, you know some people are saying it's not even a, a, a dirty hit. Your thoughts on Burfecht and whether or not he deserves the suspension? You know, I think the biggest thing is is Burfecht's rep. Uh, I think a lot of people, anytime anything is close, they they kind of go on the line of it was dirty or 
they know what type of player he is. He's just that guy who plays 100 miles an hour. And, uh, I don't think it's one of those things that uh, I think people have to worry too much about, but they do. And in this case, I think they're overblowing it. And, you know, obviously the five-game suspension is crazy and it's not deserving. So uh, I hope people just look at him as, you know, a player out there just playing his heart out, playing as best he can. And, you know, sometimes defensive players get caught in awkward spots when they're hitting guys. And for a guy like him who's been under uh, the microscope for a while, people kind of look for the worst part better than just being an average hit. And DJ, though, when you look at his – you know, what he's done in the past. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is, right. you know, they've continually tried to get him to, to – and look, I, I think you can play this game physically. Uh, you know, his style of play is obviously he's done some bonehead things from a player standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we go back to that playoff game against Pittsburgh, him and Adam Jones in that game when they had that game locked in. But he has kind of built this up now, and you're right, I, I think – the, the the visual on everyone, and, and that's looking from the outside in. I mean, he's almost got like a different color jersey on the field because we are going to be <laughs> yeah. watching him, and so is so is all, everybody at the NFL offices when they're talking about, you know, those close hits. And you're right, that hit didn't warrant. If any other linebacker did that same thing to a back or a tight end or a receiver, you know, doing in that five-yard range over the ball, trying, mm-hmm. trying to knock him out, they wouldn't have done anything. But being yeah. that he has, has the pass that he has, I mean, none of this suspension, none of these suspensions, especially moving forward, it's not going to get less. It's going to continue to get it higher. And now you ask, can you count on this guy, you know, week in yeah. and week out to, to be your linebacker? And that's the tough part about it. It's going to be, uh, uh, I think it's going to come into the mind frame of, for him is, okay, can I play my style of play now? And you got to think, is it going to hurt his team? Is it going to hurt the way he goes after his preparation, the way he goes to tackle guys, and then all of a sudden he starts missing tackles or he's not the guy he used to be, and he's going to be not as productive because he's going to be worried about, am I going to be able to make it to the next game? And that's the sad part about it. And if it comes to uh, all you care about is his past and what he's done, yeah, that's an issue, and it's something to, to think about. But at the end of the day, you got to just let the guy play, and you got to not worry about every single little hit that he has. you got to just move forward and, I think it's unfortunate for him, but I think it's going to change the way he plays. And I think it's going to change for the worst because he's going to worry about, am I going to get suspended? Am I going to lose money? Am I not going to be here for my team? And his team has to worry about it as well. Hey, hey, DJ, real quick, go back to Atlanta real quick. Uh, you know, what you, you see it every day. You see what they're doing. Uh, who's a guy, and I'll just throw it out there, he might be that guy, you know, Matt Sims has done a pretty good job at quarterback. Now, we know he's not going to start, but, you know, push the envelope uh, being the number two. Is Schaub in trouble? And who's another guy that we don't know, uh, whether that be a, an undrafted guy or a lower draft pick, somebody that's kind of making it tough to, you know, to not keep him on the roster for the Falcons this year? Yeah, you know what? I think Matt Sims has done a good job. He's had a, a couple throws here and there that are air, but that's just part of, you know, playing the position and, uh, trying to, you know, force some things here and there. But uh, I don't think Matt Schaub is in trouble. He's done a good job uh, being that backup guy. Everybody in Atlanta, the organization, they, they love Schaub, and he's done a good job for him. And uh, the only unfortunate thing for Matt Sims is he doesn't have any more practice squad eligibility. So yeah. right now I think what he's putting on film is good because there's 31 other teams, as we know, that are watching the same film and saying, okay, well, maybe if he doesn't make it with the power, he can come into – one of our teams and become our backup and, and help us. So I think the fact that he knows that it's an uphill battle in Atlanta, he still understands I have a bigger job as far as I can play for another team, especially 
uh, these other 31 teams. And a guy that has really, really showed up for the Falcons on offense is a guy named Reggie Davis. He's a receiver. He's a kick returner. Uh, obviously, they got Andre Roberts, who came in as free agent to be the return guy. But he's the second guy on the gunner. He's a, a free agent. And he's done really well for the Falcons. He's made some big plays. He's caught the ball well. And he's done good on special teams. And he's a guy that's making it hard for the Falcons to say, all right, we got to release him because he's a, he's a very, very speedy guy who can take the top off the defense. But he's also good on team, which we know guys on the back end of the roster, special teams is where they're going to make it. DJ Shockley joins us here, uh, NFL No Huddle and the NFL on TuneIn. Just a quick quarterback question for you with Deshaun Kaiser, right? So Hugh Jackson comes out says he's going to have a long leash. You know, he, he, he's going to run him out there as much as possible. Yeah, Browns fans know how many quarterbacks they've gone through. I mean, why would <laughs> yeah. this – tell me this. Why is this time different? Why is it different now with Kaiser than it has been the other 26 guys they've run out there the last few years? <laughs> Well, I think Hugh Jackson has been known to be able to get the most out of his QBs. Uh, from wherever he's been with him in Cincinnati, we've got the most out of Dalton. And, you know, he's done a good job with him in Oakland. Uh, I think in some circles he's known as a QB guru. And uh, I think the Kaisers come in and kind of really dedicate himself to being a better quarterback. And uh, they gave Hugh Jackson the leash of, hey, we're going to give you a couple years. So he's going to say, hey, I drafted this guy. I went up and got him early, so I'm going to live and die with this guy. And they got a bunch of young guys around him. Uh, they, they, they obviously drafted Peppers, who you know is a good player on defense. Uh, but I know that quarterback position is a big position for him. We've seen so many guys come in there and do it. Uh, hopefully Deshaun Kaiser comes in there with that different mindset and attitude that he's going to change the, uh, the organization around and get them to winning games. And I mean, they're in a tough division, uh, especially with, with Baltimore and, and Pittsburgh. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, in that division with him, but hey, what do you got to lose? Uh, and I guess you got to look at who else he's competing against. And Oxwaller's not the guy, so they're they're definitely saying, hey, the, our best option right now is a rookie. So they're going to go with him and live and die by it. All right, good luck with that, um, DJ. Thanks for the time. I <laughs> <laughs> really really appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. All right, fellas, I appreciate you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.